1: Welcome to Inside the Banjo-Verse, a podcast exploring Roots Music's great artists. Please do rate and subscribe, it makes a huge difference, and let all your friends know to listen. This is Enda Scal from Irish bluegrass crossover band We Banjo 3. Before you freak out, don't worry, there's actually four of us, and mostly just one banjo. That's me. Nora Brown has been described as a banjo prodigy, and I really enjoyed this chat with her, uncovering her interest in old time banjo and her roots in old time music. It's lovely to have Nora Brown on the podcast. Nora is a banjo player that I haven't met, but I have come across online, uh, I think in a bluegrass situation article that said 10 young banjo players that you must uh, that you that you don't know about that you must know about, and uh, you were one of those that uh, definitely caught my eye. So, uh where in the world are you, Nora?
0: Hey, um, I'm calling in from Brooklyn, New York. Over here in Crown Heights,
1: Brooklyn. Yeah. Wow. I was expecting you to say somewhere in East Tennessee or Kentucky. Oh, given, did you not know your music?
0: <laughs> did you not know I'm over in New York City?
1: I decided not to look it up. I could have, and, and oh, decided okay. Not to. Oh, and yeah, that was a
0: surprise. Um, but yeah, yeah.
1: So tell me tell tell me, a little bit about um, what interested you in the banjo. Like I've read a, a lot about uh, what's, what's been written about you. And it's this like really authentic take on old time and Appalachian banjo. And I'm an Irish banjo player. I play four string tenor banjo. And when I began to tour in the US about 20 years ago, that was the first time that I came in contact with uh, old time banjo with bluegrass. And I was really taken with the earthy sounds of Appalachian banjo, with the, uh, that old-time sound. And I've tried to incorporate that into what I do on on a four-string tenor. But, uh, you know, you're growing up in Brooklyn, New York. You know, what what attracted you to old-time banjo?
0: Yeah, well, um, I started playing old-time music when I was about six years old. And I, was, I like to say it was almost by accident. Um, my A friend, I, I had said I wanted to learn music. Blailey and my parents were looking for a teacher and a friend of a friend recommended this guy named Shlomo Pesco. Um, and we started to learn from him and it turns out he only taught old time music. So I was learning old time songs on the Blailey. Um, and I did not think anything of it. I was just, you know, like, Okay, this is music, this is what we're playing. And, you know, that in that way I was not, you know, tuned into how unique and special um, the old-time music culture is or and just how um, special the music is in general so it was very like um, I feel like it was a very natural process to get into old-time music Mo- most people learn about this music when they're a lot older and I think that um, being introduced to it when I was younger helped me kind of you um, just have a like a better understanding of how it works you know now that i yeah
1: and that did that in that the interest that you had when you were six in old-time music did that come through your parents have they some background in music
0: no no, no I, I definitely i did not have an interest in old-time music i, I was interested in playing ukulele but then i uh, ended up learning from a teacher who taught only old-time music
2: And, you know, I
0: I wouldn't even identify it as that at that age. It was just, you know, music. So then, no, and my parents weren't even interested in that music. It was just kind of by accident um, that we found this man named Shlomo Pesco who has since passed away, but um, was a great teacher and really helped me get uh, into the music that I play today. Yeah.
1: So do you think it's really important then that you know, meeting somebody that plays old-time music only, you're, like, innocently going in with your ukulele, obviously interested in all sorts of music. Was he a big influence on you?
0: Um, well, hard to say. I mean, he was my first teacher. He was the only person I ever learned that instrument from, so I wouldn't even, you know, I, well, of course, a big influence, but, like, it's hard to say someone is an influence when you don't even have anything to influence, so... You know, I went in there and began to learn from him, um, and yes, that is how, you know, I found out about this style of music, but it's just weird to say that even then, because it's not like finding out about something, it's like just happening upon it. I don't even know, because, you know, at six years old, and through the time that I was taking lessons from him, I was just very oblivious to the fact of the, or just the uniqueness of what I was actually doing. Mm-hmm. It, based on where I was, you know, very, and now I know that actually there's a, <laughs> this is my cat if just jumped in my lap. Um, a, a Large old time scene in New York City, but um, it can be hard to find if you, don't you know meet somebody who is, um, with you know playing music with or you know part of that scene?
1: Hmm. So, when did the transition to banjo happen?
0: Um, I would say probably when I was around 10 years old, I started playing banjo. Um, I, yeah, my uh, Shlomo passed away right before I started getting into the banjo. I had I always wanted to play, but I Kind of started playing banjo ukulele with him which is a little hybrid of the instruments um and i'd started to play banjo a little bit but um and he, he passed and i um began to branch out and learn from different teachers uh on the five-string banjo yeah
1: and so who uh, who would have been uh, are there are there an amount of banjo teachers in in new york city in brooklyn was it easy to find somebody?
0: I mean, yes. Now, like, now that once we had, yeah, yeah, like, once um, I had started learning from Shulmo, uh, he would take me, or he would he would have, like, recitals, like a normal music teacher would, at different locations, different, like, venues that specialize in all-time music. So, hanging around those areas, we would meet people, and, um, and then we had people to reach out and be like, "Hey, we're looking for a banjo teacher. Do you know anyone?" And yeah, yeah, there are actually quite a few. And now I'm teaching banjo, so yeah. <laughs>
1: uh, is it uh, is it technically difficult to learn? Is it, it's clawhammer you play, right?
0: Yeah, I play a lot of different styles, but yes, uh, clawhammer. Mm-hmm.
1: And have you ever been attracted to the scruggs style?
0: Um, I. Well, sh- sure I mean, I'd love to know how to play it I do I, I, you know I haven't really given it a um fair try, but I, I do play the two finger old- time two finger style and I dabble in three finger but I, I don't really play a lot of songs like Scruggs scrug style but I, I can if I take it really slow um but the old- time two finger style is very similar to Scrug style it sounds very similar um.
1: And yeah, that's mostly clawhammer, two finger style, a little bit of up, up picking. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, I'm curious. Like you're, are you, you're 15 now, 16, 15? Yeah, I'm just, I'm super curious about uh, the deep interest that you have in old time music, and it seems to be quite specific to East Tennessee or uh, East Kentucky and Tennessee. Uh, I'm just wondering where the uh, the influence to to go right into the heart of uh, that specific old time genre comes from.
0: Um well I I mean I um learning from after Solomon passed away I, I started to kind of um learn from a couple different teachers and in that process I, I getting like more familiar with the banjo I would Stoll actually I had a very extensive vinyl record collection, and um, we, and, me, and my family inherited some of those from him. And uh, learning from new teachers, sometimes I would put on vinyl records and from field recordings of old artists. And I'd be like, "Oh, I really like that song. I would love to learn it." Um, and I would play it for my teacher, and they would learn it, and then we would. Learn it together and they would kind of walk me through playing it. So, in this way, I kind of got more earlier with different regions of Appalachia and where, you know, certain styles of music are coming from. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but that is like another way that I kind of got a little bit more um, into the old time music world and kind of gained a little bit better understanding. And like, that just kind of opened some doors to like exploring a little bit more into. Like I said, regional music and um, specific artists.
1: Yeah, and is that is it very is that very important to you that uh, that you maintain the integrity of the traditional side of old time music?
0: Um. In what way do you mean integrity?
1: I uh, mean, you know, being very being reverential, I guess, to the original recordings or to the original music.
0: Oh okay, yeah, like playing the exact same way the artist does. Yeah, I mean, um, it's interesting because I've learned from many people. As like, like I've said, uh, uh, one being a, one of my uh, friends and a teacher too, uh, Mac Trainum, who is from Floyd, Virginia, and he, um, like all teachers, have different teaching styles. And Mac is um, often teaches in a way where it's like you like um, he teaches me a lot of stuff from that regional area of near where he lives in Floyd, Virginia, and um, so he'll teach me a song and it's important to him that I learn it the like correct way first or exactly the way that the artist did it or uh, his interpretation of it. And then it's also very important to him to you know, expand on it in your own style afterwards. But um, keeping the roots of like the artist's version of the song is um, really important. But there's also other people that I've come from where it's like, here's a little bit of how it goes. You take this and do what you want with it. So there's a lot of different ways that I've been taught, and, and I mean, like, even the way I teach now, it's probably a little bit of both. I'm not, I am not—I can't say that I'm super strict about um, the original recordings and the original style of it, because often a lot of the things that I play are totally different from the way that I've learned it or the recording that I've heard from or whoever taught it to me. So it's very hard to be like, um, and this is exactly how Virgil Anderson played, it. this is exactly how. Blank name played it because, I mean, honestly, it's often going to be like the way Nora Brown plays it, which is, um, you know, for better for worse. That is mostly what people will be getting when they um, learn my music. But yes, in a certain to a certain extent, it is very important to me to at least have the knowledge of the way the song goes, and definitely to know the backstory behind it, um, and you know, as much as you can. It can be hard to find these things out because um, there's, you know, limited information on this music and there are, it, there's a limited amount of people still alive that really grew up with the tradition. Um, so yeah, 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 I would say that it is important to me, but it is also important to me to continue the full process and, you know, uh, adapt songs to the way that, you know, suits.
1: Hmm. So, yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting answer. I mean, I'm I'm aware all of the time that at 15, like that, you know, this I'm I'm thinking of myself when I was 15 years old, and how much more development as a musician and stylistically, and for me, I was always trying to push boundaries and see where I can take traditional Irish music and take it to breaking point and maybe beyond
2: 50 to get 50% off that's factor meals.com slash Pantheon 50 and use the code Pantheon 50 to get 50% off.
0: Um, I wouldn't say that that is something that I often am doing, but you know, it does happen. Um, sometimes I'll play a song or collaborate with someone else who has a different idea about the way I want to go or we create an arrangement that's very unique to, um, the specific song and is very different from the way that we've learned it. Um, a great example would be this this tune called "Wedding Dress," which is actually coming out um, on my next album. But um, learned this tune from John Cohen, uh, who was uh, part of the New Lost City Ramblers, and a great friend of mine. Um, passed away, I uh, believe, in around the end of 2019. Um, so fairly recently, it, it feels very recent you know It's moved so fast um but uh i learned this tune from john but then i would i played it with my good friend anna roberts juvall and we kind of created this new very um just a very different version of it it had a lot more flexibility within the um like uh arrangement of the tune and um i played differently almost every time that I perform it, you know, um, it's just a very natural flowing stuff and you can add these little areas to tunes or you can change things to have more of that um, uh, flexibility um, and I, I think that's a good example of kind of the way that I sometimes will alter songs in kind of a bigger way. Mm.
1: Yeah. Do you, uh, explain that a little bit more to me, Do you, when, when you're talking about altering songs and I think, is that rhythmically, is it vocally, how, how, how do you approach oh, oh, that?
0: Oh, every way. Um, In this specific t- example I was talking about this tune Wedding Dress, um, at the end of the tune, uh, I sort of start to take pieces from all the verses and the chorus and kind of mix them up into a weird pattern that's different every time I play it, but it, um, because it's kind of got a simplistic melody, Often all the phrases will work for each part of the melody, so it's very um, it allows for that interpretation of it. And um, but yeah, definitely vocally, always changing stuff because a lot of these songs that I'm learning are by male artists who have a different range than I do, and so I will often change um, how I sing the song. But yeah, and rhythmically definitely. Um, just by playing and practicing songs, you know you find little variations or things that work that are the same rhythm or like slightly different rhythmically. Um, some syncopation, for example, might fit in somewhere, and it's like a, I like to use the word variation because a lot of times in instrumental songs, specifically, um, when there's no vocal behind it, you want to make sure that it is continuing, continuing to be different each time you play it to. Keep people's interest and just to keep the song, you know, flowing. Um, So I'd say that you know, specifically in a lot, a lot of instrumental music that I play, I make sure to kind of adapt the song to where I feel like um, can really captivate a listener. Hmm. Yeah.
1: Are there lots of female artists, uh, and I'm thinking female written songs from a genre that you're pulling from um, that inspire you, you know, you talked about the importance of the story behind the song or the origin of the song and a lot of old time music uh, to my outside uh, awareness would probably have a lot of male artists and perhaps a lot of thematic stuff that would, you know, be from a male point of view. But are there female artists that really inspire you from that time?
0: Um, well, I mean, it's yeah, there are definitely um far less, but uh some I can name right now a very common uh female banjo player or someone someone people might know if you're interested in all that music be Olbell Reed she's a great uh songwriter and banjo player um Ada Graham is a great ballad singer, and um I believe she played piano too, and I mean, even Alice Gerard who is not from that time, but uh, she worked with Hazel Dickens and they, uh, they wrote a lot of songs, but also played a lot of traditional music. And I would say that they kind of pioneered woman being more part of bluegrass and old time music. Um, and Alice actually produced my first album, Cinnamon Tree, So I've been able to spend some time with her, um, which has been really awesome. She's um, such a legend and it's really cool to kind of um, well, we've, we've worked together on, like, my singing voice and uh, the way I play songs, and it's very cool to have her input on the way I, you know, play my music. So, I think that, you know, I'm so lucky to have been able to spend time around someone who is familiar with, oh, sorry, cat. Um, sorry. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So... There are definitely women out there, and even in today, today's music scene, we have Rhiannon Giddens, amazing bander player and songwriter. Uh, I love her music, and she's uh, very, very cool. And we have Anna roberts and Elizabeth Laprelle Anna and Elizabeth, they band together, um, and they're also a big inspiration to me. They kind of, some, I would say that they kind of take old-time music to another level in some of their more recent music and kind of adding a little bit of, like, I don't like the word, like, experimental, but if you were to, like, use that word to describe a genre of music, that's what I would use. Um, kind of adding a little bit more of, like, you know, a little more of those kinds of elements, and kind of keeping the old-time music roots, but uh, putting a twist on it. So, yeah, I mean, you're definitely right. There's far less women in this, um, Music genres specifically, uh, but there are quite a few that I that definitely today, and quite a few that I try to I try to incorporate women's music into my repertoire into what I play. It's harder to do because obviously there's less of it, but um, yeah, I do I do what I can.
1: <laughs> do you have much awareness of uh, traditional Irish music and perhaps the influence that Irish immigrants had on on old time music?
0: um i would say i don't i i don't think i i mean i i don't know much about that and i definitely i, I don't i wouldn't say i have much irish elements in my playing currently i my my mom's family is irish and my my great-grandparents um uh, immigrate here from ireland and so i i've been to ireland a few times been lucky to spend some time there and uh it's been really amazing, and I have also played a lot of uh, music at the Irish Arts Center, where sometimes uh, they group the performers to play Irish songs together at the end of the kind of uh, concert, and in that way I'm kind of incorporating my old-time music skills to kind of play songs that are in a different, um, I don't know what you call it, time signature. So that's been interesting, that's kind of like a more obvious way that I've kind of, you know, and I I do love Irish music, but I have not really incorporated it into much of the music that I play or perform.
1: Mm. Yeah, I got to hang out with Rhiannon Giddens backstage at Romp in Kentucky a couple of years ago, and we talked banjo for about an hour um, in between sets. And what was really interesting from my point of view was that I would have a a, a history of the instrument, the banjo, Uh, largely that comes through Mick Maloney, who was in New York uh, University. I guess you would probably know Mick or certainly know of Mick. And uh, I mean, Rhiannon's take on it, of course, which was really new to me, was that uh, there's so much of the black history of the banjo that has been essentially written out of this history of the development of the banjo. And so much emphasis put on the Irish musicians, of course, were white, and the influence that they had on Appalachian music and on bluegrass music. Um, that was a very, very interesting conversation. Um, I, I kind of felt very schooled at the end of it, I have to say.
0: Yeah, yeah. um And that's something that I'm very thankful to Rian for spreading this uh, message and spreading awareness around the uh, massive black history behind the banjo and the banjo's origins and, you know, how that has been kind of hidden from popular media. You know, when you think of banjo, you think of whiteness, which is, you know, inaccurate, definitely. And even old-time music, not just the banjo, the way that the banjo and the fiddle play together. Yes, I, I believe the fiddle or the violin was a European instrument brought to America, but the way that the banjo and the fiddle play together in this, um, or like, Sometimes, like, fiddle tunes and stuff like that, where the fiddle leads and the banjo plays backup. That is all, you know, created by African-Americans who are playing, um, you know, playing banjo and adding this, you know, new instrument that maybe came from overseas. Uh, and so, you know, old-time music not only has its roots in Africa, but also was, you know, very... Much of what we hear today, um, that's definitely from the African American influence. Um, so I think that, you know, I think that many, many, most people today still are not aware of this. And it's unfortunate because uh, I think that kind of sometimes can create a barrier between who, you know, the amount of whiteness that's in this music scene. And um, it creates an imbalance between the amount of, you know, white old-time musicians compared to you know, people of color playing this music. So I think that, you know, the more that people know about this, the more that um, people can feel more welcome in the old-time music world and people can uh, gain interest in in the music in general.
1: Mm. Yeah. It's definitely what excited me the most about the banjo. And I think it's part of the spirit of the instrument as well, is that, like, yeah, and you were 100% correct that the fiddle, came to the US with Irish immigrants and uh, Irish indentured workers meeting up with uh, with with the African musicians the African slaves essentially that were playing banjo and these two cultures mixing and producing this fantastic music and maybe it's a kind of a a a rose-tinted look at the whole thing but I always find that the music that was played at that time was very joyful despite huge huge repression. And despite Irish people who had to emigrate because of famine and because of poverty and, um, you know, huge suffering, as well as the Africans who were taken from their country with immense suffering, but yet the music that they played was incredibly joyful. And I mean, all-time music is essentially a very joyful music.
2: Hey Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to com slash pantheon today to get twenty percent off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get twenty percent off and free shipping at buyraycon dot com slash pantheon. Yeah, um well
0: uh yeah, I, I agree. I think that a lot of times uh, it can appear joyful because it's really dance music um, and it's, you know, got that uptempo beat, got that fun syncopation that's, you know, meant for dancers to enjoy. But if you if uh, kind of get into some of the Eastern Kentucky style, of, or not, not even specifically that region, but a lot of like solo banjo music can have a pretty, pretty sad, um, undertones there but i do think that in general you know fiddle and the banjo together you know immediately creates this a feeling of wanting to get up and dance you know because just kind of that combination and, and even back then when you know fretted banjos were less common in my opinion i think that um you know the fretless banjo and the, bi- the fiddle uh is a great combination uh because they're both fretless. And I think that that kind of allows for the possibility of, you know, kind of uh, weird tones and things that you can't get from fretted instruments, right? So um, although just fiddle and banjo period is amazing. I think that specifically fretless banjo and fiddle is a really unique, special sound.
1: Hmm. Talk to me about banjos for a moment. So how many do you have? Is there a a favorite banjo Is there a dream banjos or something if you had an endless amount of money that you would go straight out and buy?
0: Um, Here, I'll show you a wall of some items over
1: (laughs) here. Okay, you've got tons of banjos. Wow.
0: There's quite a few banjos in this room. Um, I don't have just accumulated from various occasions, but uh, I got my frontless banjo over here. This is i would compare this to uh, Rihanna's banjo.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's a pre-Civil War replica, and whoa, um, yeah. It, there's not much to say about it. It's got these nylon strings on it, that imitate the sound of you know gut strings. And uh, I I play that banjo, and I play um my my five-string my Gibson banjo, which fretted banjo that I use for when I need a fretted banjo. Um, I actually recently got this instrument which I've been incorporating into my music a little more which is actually my great 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 grandfather's banjo um, and my great uncle found this up in his attic and was like do you want this? We're like uh yeah we want the banjo um, and we so we put a new head on it strung it up with some nylon strings which I've actually really was very interested in getting a banjo that's fretted with nylon strings because I think that that allows me to play up the neck a little bit more. But it's very hard to do that with a fretted banjo because it gets a little wonky once you get past the fifth fret, right? Because it's like kind of hard to find yeah. where where you're supposed to go. Um, so this banjo's been really great, and it's allowed me to kind of expand what I'm able to do with that mellow sound.
1: So do you get, do you do you know the full story behind that banjo? It's your great grandfather's banjo.
0: Um, I don't know the full story, there's not much I know about it, but it, um, my great-great-great-grandfather lived in East Nashville, um, which is where, uh, my dad grew up there and my grandparents still live down in Nashville, so I, I actually recently took a little road trip to go visit them, uh, it's been a while since we've got seen them, um, but I don't know much behind, not, not, not much backstory, but it's, uh, Ludwig banjo, and it's I think probably from the early 1900s, but yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. There's a tremendous lack of gold leaf on old-time banjos compared to uh, tenor banjos, and even Uh the the newer bluegrass instruments, they they, they look like quite a simplistic, well, not simplistic is the wrong word, but a simple instrument.
0: Hmm interesting i
1: have not noticed that <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you've yeah you have, have you seen like shots from the american banjo museum and a lot of the plectrum banjos that are like they're adorned with gold leaf and with uh, mother of pearl or mother of toilet seat as they like to call it like the banjos got incredibly flamboyant in their decoration yeah
0: and i i, I don't know if that's because of the makers of or the popular makers of, banjos, but um, I mean there are definitely lots of flamboyant five string banjos. But I I hear what you're saying. I think that it's maybe more in style or more in fashion to have a little bit more of a simplistic style for question banjos right now. I'm, I'm not sure, but mm. say,
1: yeah. is there is there an is there a a, a really beautiful old time five string banjo that you would love to own? Or is there a maker that's making exceptional instruments?
0: Um, I don't have a specific banjo that I'm interested in purchasing at the moment. But um, I do know people who, uh, you know, take pleasure in looking for specific banjos and Uh, know a lot about the makers of certain banjos and what they're what exactly they're looking for but as of now I'm very satisfied with my banjo collection um but yeah I mean I love going to festivals and you know instrument shops and trying out different banjos I think that that, that's also a very important thing to help exercise your ear and really find out what 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 you're looking for in a banjo because it's very hard to do that when you're you know, a beginner on the instrument, and I think that's a, it's an issue, because it's like, okay, I'm, I've gotten pretty good at the banjo, I think I want to upgrade whatever banjo I'm using now to one that I think I can really get a lot better on, or maybe I think I've used this banjo to its fullest extent, and I want to, you know, upgrade a little bit, and then it's like, you know, what exactly am I looking for? Very hard to say. You hear sound, um like words like mellow or bright or um, warm. Like, what do those sounds mean without being able to pair it with, you know, actually feeling the way it feels on a banjo? So I think that, you know, I mean, it's, it's super fun to try different banjos and just feel the way things feel the differences and stuff. Yeah. yeah.
1: I think you answered that. I was laughing. I think you answered that question a lot of the ways that I would answer the very same question, which is that I'm ultimately an extreme disappointment to uh, banjo nerds who love to talk about banjos and the date it was made and, you know, how much gold it has on it or, you know, where it came from. And people get obsessed about Paragon banjos or Gibson banjos and Master Tone banjos and all of that. And I've only ever cared about what it feels like to play usually even above what it sounds like
0: um yeah it's it's interesting because i mean there are definitely things that i look for in a banjo and like yes i agree and i am also a disappointment to banjo nerds but i do like i can i'm happy that i'm you know been able to try different banjos out go to festivals and go to little booths and try out different banjos that i know the words like what I would look for in a banjo, like for example um, I definitely, in terms of the way a banjo feels, I definitely need a thinner neck because my hands are fairly small and it's a little easier to play with a thinner neck and I also look for kind of a deeper, mellower tone. I want to hear like my bass strings uh, kind of resonate within uh, the head of the banjo and that is actually demonstrated a lot in the banjo that I play most often. My um, like Gibson Banjo, and it's, I think it has a twelve and a half um, inch pot, so I think that that's slightly larger than the average size, which kind of allows for that deeper sound to be more prominent.
1: You see, you're, you're well able to be a banjo nerd. I knew it. <laughs> no,
0: that's about as far as I go, though. Um, yeah. yeah.
1: My my bandmate David he's is the guitar player and singer with with, with our band. He got a, a a an old time an old style banjo made by Dave Dillard in in Nashville, and it's absolutely beautiful. Like it's the tone from it is is spectacular. But we looked at it very very closely to see if it could be adapted to a four string Irish style, and it just the lack of tone tone ring means that it just it wouldn't work for. to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line.
0: I actually, yeah, I have. There's a tone ring on my credit red, banjo. Um, it's actually this, it's an inter- interesting model um, because it was kind of made right before that Gibson started kind of cutting corners and they, they made the trapdoor uh, snakehead banjo, which is a lot more common. And a lot of times, some people see, see my banjo, and they're like, oh, is that uh, you know, a know door? And it's, it's not actually, uh, the, uh, I don't know exactly what called, is it the rim? Or like, the edge of the pot is actually hollow, um, and there's something like, I don't remember, it's like a double tone ring or I don't know, something weird like that, um, but there's like this hollow rim that, you know, really allows for this resonance that I really think is beautiful. Um, and that's something that I really
1: appreciate about. Mm. I have a ball bearing tone ring in my banjo. It's made by Neckville Banjos in Minnesota. Uh, I had never come across a ball bearing uh, tone ring banjo before, but it's incredible how it allows the tone. It sounds obvious out through the ball bearings. You can see how incredibly technically challenged I am when it comes to what's going on inside the banjo.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But the tone off it is spectacular. What's uh, what's um, what's next for Nora Brown? You mentioned you have a new album coming out. Have you great goals in mind as a musician?
0: Um, not particularly. Uh, I'm just you know happy to play music with folks that I you know enjoy playing with, and I'm you know it's been great to be able to record music um, during this time, especially. So, I actually recorded. You mentioned, you know, Mick Maloney, and Mick kind of organizes this um, little concert that's like kind of about a blending between Irish and Appalachian music. Um, and someone who often plays there is John Paxton, who you've heard. Of him. But um, Jerron, uh is featured on this record, and so is um, Jackson Lynch, who plays fiddle on it. So. You know, I'm very glad to keep learning and hopefully recording some stuff. Um, And hopefully it will be out uh, end of summer, early fall. Um, Yeah, and it's very exciting. It was actually recorded on these old tape recording machines uh, where it would, you know, go right to the reel-to-reel recording and then go right onto the computer so there's no kind of in-between that would alter the sound. We recorded, um, mono so there's not really any mixing possibilities there so it's you know very authentic um sound good or whether that's a good or a bad thing um so yeah I, but I'm, I'm very excited it's gonna be a 10 inch vinyl um recorded a little bit less my earlier project was just a regular lp but um yeah it's, I'm pretty excited about uh getting it out
1: Cool. Would you like to go on and study music? Is that what you're thinking?
0: Um, in terms of like college or something? Yeah. Well, i I actually am in a um performing arts high school, uh, which is called Frank Sinatra High School of the Arts. It's in of Queens. Um, and I'm a uh, vocal major vocal major there. So I'm singing a lot of classical what they like to call art songs um, and stuff like that, which you know uh, has been a great experience. I'm not sure if it's right for me, but um, it's been really cool to learn about the stuff like that. I mean, Rhiannon Guinness has definitely been an inspiration. Sometimes I'll think about um, how I think she studied opera at some point in her musical career, and I think you know maybe that is somehow going to benefit my music the way it uh, benefited her so that kind of keeps me interested in it but
1: um yeah i don't know i mean um yeah 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 fantastic well nora thanks for taking the time to chat um i hope to get to meet you in the real world sometime we do a lot of us festivals and i've no doubt our paths will cross at some stage but uh being a non-nerdy banjo lover um i'd love to sit down and pick some tunes with you sometime
0: Oh, yeah. That would be great. That would be great.
1: (laughs) Where can uh, people find out about your new release?
0: Yeah, so I got a website, uh, noraboundmusic.com and uh, yeah, you can go on there and check out upcoming shows. You can go to the little store area and and I'm actually sold out of my LP version of Cinematry, my first release. But there's download code available. There is some there are some fun posters um, from letterpressed posters. It's my my dad uh, letterpress shop, so some fun items there. Um, and yeah, I got all the social medias. And um, yeah, YouTube. You can check out. The, I, I post like songs and stuff that I learn and um and then you know. Instagram is kind of more like updates on upcoming stuff. But yeah, I also have an email where you can reach out about lesson inquiries, which is Cinnamon NB at gmail.com. Cinnamon Tree is the name of my earlier album. That's why it's, I know it's a very confusing email. It's so <laughs> Cinnamon Tree NB, like Nora Brown, my initials at gmail.com. Um and yeah, I do teach lessons and I do workshops too, so sometimes I'll each group workshops, but if you feel better with, like, a more um, focused on your learning specifically, then you can do one-on-one lessons too. So that's
1: cool. Nora, thank you so much. Come on, Liza, 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 come on, Liza, we're making it again. I'm
0: gonna get that, get that, get that, I'm gonna get that pretty little girl.
1: <laughs> Thank you for listening. If you loved this episode, please head over to our website, webanjo3.com, to subscribe, rate, and do leave us a review. It makes a huge difference. See you next time inside the